Well, good morning. Nice to spend time together in prayer for the needs that are so obvious in our lives, in our culture, in our situation. I'm Pastor Steven. I'm one of the pastors here at Hyde Wesleyan Church, and uh, this morning I have a privilege of bringing the message uh, before us. Uh, in a message, a series of messages that Pastor Bob has uh, started us in over the past couple of weeks. This is the third week of messages in a series we've entitled Holy and Human. And uh, in this series of messages, the idea, the gist uh, for us is to acknowledge that there's some stuff in our lives that trips us up. There's some stuff in our lives that uh, causes us to slow down or to uh, lose track of our purpose and our vision as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we not only want to acknowledge that there's stuff, difficult stuff in our lives, but we want to acknowledge that the stuff is there and that God has promised to see us through it. And he's promised to give us strength every day to make it through every day, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. Uh, each week of this series of sermons uh, revolves around the idea of bringing to light the spiritual walls, the hurdles, the stuff, the difficult things that sideline us in the race that we are in. And I want to remind you, we are in a race. The author of Hebrews puts it this way very nicely in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the hurdle this week in our series, Holy and Human, is the subject of frustration. You ever get frustrated? Are you frustrated right now at the person sitting next to you? Raise your hand. <laughs> Just check in. Karen rose her hand, Rick. I saw that. Busted. Okay, good. My wife is teaching in the class, so I'm safe. <laughs> we get frustrated pretty easily, right? I should say, you get frustrated pretty easily because pastors, we don't get frustrated. You're laughing. If we were to get frustrated, I believe it would look a little something like this. Yeah, I'm frustrated right now.
And Jesus said, stop it. (laughs) If we're honest with each other, I think we could all admit that it's not a question of when will I experience frustration, but instead, how am I to deal with life's frustrations? How am I to continue on as a disciple of Christ? How am I to live a holy life when stuff just happens and I get frustrated? I think we all have uh, admissions maybe that shouldn't be public of how we deal with some of our frustrations, right? We don't want to get into that this morning of how uh, we deal in, in the real terms of when frustration hits us. Some of us like to go for long drives. Some of us like to shoot at things. Preferably be targets. Some of us like to just run away from our troubles. Some of us like to hide out. Some of us like to make someone else frustrated that we're frustrated. Frustration is a real thing. In the book that Pastor Bob and I have read together to formulate this series, the author of that book, Dr. Wilson, suggests that there's two main categories that are our experienced frustrations fall under. The first category is unrealized hope. Unrealized hope are the frustrations that arise when a specific plan or hope of ours is blocked by the unforeseen. These are those frustrations that revolve around the the cruise or the vacation that we never really got to take. Uh, Maybe it's the frustration about the honeymoon plans we planned out, but they didn't exactly meet our expectations. These could be the frustrations of wanting to be something different than we are today in our career. These frustrations, we all know and we have these unrealized hopes and dreams. Usually they're met with a a phrase of, I wish I could have dot 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 something different. The second category of frustrations that we deal with are life's shortfalls. These are the frustrations based on the fact that we are human beings, broken perfection. We are created in the image of the perfect God, and yet we are uglied by the stain of sin. The Apostle Paul knew these frustrations pretty well. He writes about them this way. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Romans chapter 7, verse 19. Can't we relate to that? Can't we fall into the similar category of understanding that we get frustrated by some things in this life? We get frustrated by the circumstances that happen beyond our control, and we get frustrated at ourselves by choosing to go a path we shouldn't. And it's not just our own personal life's shortfalls. This category involves the world around us, too, the broken nature of all of the world around us. I feel frustration, and I hope you do, too, when we see the levels of corruption on every level of leadership around us. I feel frustration when I feel and I realize again and again that we just can't seem to get some things right as a society and a culture. I get frustrated reading the headlines every day that show me the state of things all around me. The truth is, frustrations happen. They are a part of our everyday life. Circumstances beyond my control will influence my hopes, my plans, and my goals. And I will get frustrated 
as a follower of Jesus. As I learn to be a disciple of Jesus every day, I am going to face seasons, moments, weeks, hours, months, where frustration is very real. And frustrations aren't a new thing, right? Frustrations aren't simply something that have come up because our society has become so advanced and we can't figure out how to turn our computers on. Anybody been frustrated by a computer today? Frustrations aren't something that we have just dealt with in the recent era. Frustrations have been around since time began. In fact, the Bible gives us some great examples of frustration. Moses pleads with the Lord to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering. Can you imagine the frustration? Do you remember the story in Exodus of the children of Israel wandering, being uh, enslaved, and then being able to escape their enslavement? And then they had to wander for 40 years. And Moses literally pleads with the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 3 to be able to enter into the promised land. And God says to him in verse 26, that's enough. That's enough. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. And he gives the responsibility of leading the children of Israel over to Joshua. How about the story of Jonah? Remember Jonah, good old Jonah? Didn't want to go to Nineveh, didn't want to preach the word of the Lord, and he was swallowed by a great fish and spit out and chose to go do the right thing, and he preached this message of repentance to Nineveh, and then he went and stood on the city on the city walls, on the the hilltop, and he just waited for God's wrath to be poured out. But what happens? Nineveh repents of their sin, and God relents his wrath upon them, and he holds back. And Jonah is frustrated because he wants to see a fireworks show, right? He's frustrated with God. He loses out on, he misses out on God's true character of what repentance looks like. This morning, I want to quickly turn to the life of King David. For our story, our personal interaction with what frustration looks like and how maybe we can learn to respond better. You remember King David? He was described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Maybe you didn't know that David had a lifetime intention of building a holy temple in Jerusalem that the world would know about. His desire as a king of Israel was to make God number one and to build a temple for God's holy presence to reside in. King David worked a lifetime at this purpose. He had it in his heart and his desire was there. Listen quickly to his words, portions of Psalm 132 about his passion and his pursuit to pursue this desire. He says this, I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. He writes, Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. For the sake of David, your servant, God, do not reject your anointed one. For the Lord has chosen Zion, Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling. David had a passion to build a temple. David had a desire within him to do something spectacular for God, something very great. He wanted a location where all people could come and experience the very presence of God Almighty. A great thing, yes? David had a pursuit of great things. And can you hear the passion in his voice? 
Can you hear that he's willing to give up sleep? He's willing to give up his family time. He's willing to do whatever necessary to see this dream come true. His passion, his heartbeat is to declare his God is worthy of praise. In David's life story, after the things he was experiencing, even while penning these words, the wars, these wars were over. The land of Jerusalem is experiencing great prosperity and peace, and David is finally ready to accomplish the thing he set out for. He's got the time invested, and he's available. The task he's waited his entire life to fulfill. He's about to pull the trigger on building this temple, but God had other plans. Let's look closer at the story from 1 Kings. We'll pick up with the story in 1 Kings chapter 8. And you'll notice the author of this passage is David's son, Solomon. Solomon writes, My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple. But your son, who is your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. Solomon continues, the Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Can you imagine? Can you imagine yourself in David's shoes? A a, a desire, a purpose, a, a, a drive so absolutely pursuing building this temple and being told by God, I know you want to do that, but I want your son to be the one to do it. I love my son, and I'm a perfect father. (laughs) So I wouldn't be jealous at all. But some of you might get a little frustrated, right? Pastors, we don't get frustrated. No, I'd be frustrated. And and I have been frustrated. I've been frustrated at wanting to do things that I think are the, the right thing to do, and they just don't seem to happen the same way that I feel like they should. Have you ever been there? Are they good things? Absolutely. I feel like the pursuits of my life, I have really wanted to dedicate to the Lord my life and my family, and yet there are some things that just don't happen the way that I tell God they should. And so we experience frustration. And maybe in this story, we don't have the account completely, but can you imagine the heart of David A man after God's own heart being instructed, nope, you're not the one. You've got the plans. You've got the blueprints. looks great. Your idea is great. I love that holy of holies. But you're not the one to do the thing. God literally refuses David's desire to complete his task, saying you are not the one. To build the temple. Is it okay that that hurts a little bit? Is it okay? You better say yeah. It hurts a little bit. 
For all of our understanding of this passage, David's intentions are pure here. And yet God has a different plan. So, here we are. Do we just look at a story like King David's and do we just say, oh my goodness, good thing there are frustrated people in the Bible so that I can have permission to be frustrated. Do we just look at the accounts like this and say, I'm in good company, I'm allowed to be frustrated because David was frustrated and so I'm going to be frustrated and you're going to be frustrated and I'm frustrated and the world goes around. Or... Is there a better way for us to respond to frustration? According to a passage of scripture like this, in a story like this, I think there's more for us to understand. We can learn by accounts like this of how we must better manage our frustrations and respond in a holy way when those frustrations are very real and experienced. I want to present to us two holy responses to frustration. Holy responses, because we can all uh, come up with a wonderful list that we should share publicly of unholy responses to frustration. Most of them involve Tannerite. Amen? Do you know what Tannerite is? Magic. Pure. Most of our unholy responses to frustration we don't want to talk about. Amen? So surely, Scripture, God's holy word, God's instructions for us in our lives teaches us a better way. Amen? Let's look at them. The first, holy response to frustration is a, a lesson that we must learn that it is a great thing to have a vision, even if we don't see its completion. The first holy response is to remember our true vision. Remember our true vision. David's life wasn't blemish-free, remember? We know some things about David. There's some accounts of David in Scripture that make us blush and make us ashamed about who he was. And yet, he is labeled a man after God's own heart because his true vision, his desire, the core of who he was, was a, a desire to bring much glory and fame and honor to God Almighty. There's a message of hope in David's story that reminds us that David's abiding vision to build a temple to honor God was a positive thing in the Lord's sight. Verse 18 said it again. You did well to have it in your heart. You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. God said to David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. It was at the core of who he was to please the Lord. His true vision, the real thing within him, his pursuit, was to see God receive the glory and honor that he deserves. Yes, David stumbled. Yes, David fell backwards. Yes, David messed up in some big ways. He was a murderer and an adulterer. And yet, God says... You did well to have in your core a desire to make much of me. So, of course, this begs to ask the intention, the, the intention question, right? Are good intentions good enough? If, if David had at his core just good intentions to make much of God and he lived like the world, is that good enough? If we would buy into that in a passage of Scripture like this, we are so foolish Instead, I think it shows us a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of grace. We're going to experience some grace together this morning. And I hope this, this passage of Scripture speaks to your heart about how loving and forgiving our God is. 
Because David messes up in some big ways. And yet here at the end of his reign, the end of his life, God says, I'm proud of you. We may think if I have the intentions of bringing glory to God and I'll get around to it eventually and we just live the way we want to until we hope we have enough time in the end of our life to make things right and maybe give something to the church and hope that that accounts for something we are missing out. I, I think there's this, uh, th- this built-in thing into who we are that, that we think we can live like the world We can live by the world's standards, maybe most of the days of the week. And then we can try to fix it a little bit on a Sunday or by studying scripture. And and I want to remind us, friends, that we are not called to be Sunday Christians. We're not called to fix our true vision on, on a certain day of the week. We are called to living lives of surrender every day. God doesn't want Sunday Christians He wants disciples that live in this world and change it and bring about the kingdom of heaven today. Not just hiding under rocks hoping that it all blows over. We have a responsibility to overthrow the things of this world here and now. And so if we are living our lives in such a way that we say, "I I, I I hope my neighbors are proud of me. I hope, my, I hope my family's proud of me. I hope I don't make too many ripples in my community. I hope I don't step on too many toes. If we're living that way and we are diminishing the fact that on judgment day we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and he is going to say to us one of two things. Well done or depart from me. We really have to think every single day about the actions we are taking revolving around that interaction with Jesus. Not about what's popular on Facebook. Not about what's popular with our friends and family. Not about what doesn't get us in too much trouble in our community or make us look too weird in our society. What really matters is our true vision. Oh, but how quickly we take those blinders off and we get distracted by what other people think. Be a good spot for an amen or an oh me, right? Does anybody else get distracted by what other people think? I'm glad I got friends in the congregation. If we were to live our lives as Christians, if we were to try to measure up today based on the world's standards of achievement, shouldn't we just give up? Have we reached every tribe and tongue? Have we taught the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Have we done, have we done it? Is missions over with? You know you have neighbors that don't know who Jesus Christ is? We haven't done it. Shouldn't we just give up? world says if something's not working, cut it out, right? If something doesn't work, oh my goodness, do something that does work. Have we planted enough churches to reach the communities in our own state? Nope. So shouldn't we just stop church planting? 
No. If our true vision is to make much of Jesus Christ, if our true vision is to bring honor and glory to God, and we think that looks like building a temple, and God says, nope, it does us very well to remember that that's not what it's all about, but rather, bringing him glory is. You ever see a football player take a knee after a touchdown or an interception or taking a good drink from the sidelines? I don't know what they, they take a knee and they point heavenward. They get picked on sometimes. I, I love that picture. I always wanted to play football. My mom didn't want my head getting smacked around. That perspective, that illustration that we see often on television in that way. And we don't know the heart intentions of every player. But that's returning glory back to where it's due, right? That's a, a beautiful visual example of that, if the intentions are correct. Friends, all of our lives are to do the exact same thing. But man, man, we often give into the accolades, the the, the, the feel-good stuff, when someone says to us, job well done, we like that a lot more than reflecting it back on the one who deserves all the glory. We have got to learn to do this better. I have got to learn to do this better. Hebrews chapter 12, 1, what we read this morning says, let us run with perseverance. Let me see if I can find it for you. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's the first verse. The second verse says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember your true vision. Our response to frustration must be to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He must be our true vision, pleasing him Bringing glory to him, lifting him, must be at the core of who we are. One of our church fathers, John Wesley, said this, Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon this earth. That's a powerful quote. That's a powerful reminder of one who served the church and the kingdom of heaven. If you were here on Wednesday for our Kids Corner, Kids uh, Kid Blast uh, event, John Wesley showed up. He looked a lot like that, though. <laughs> we had John Wesley visit and teach us, teach the kids especially. It was wonderful. I like the reminder of how we are to remember our true vision as disciples of Christ the second response to frustration this morning, if I can make it work on the screen, is to turn our frustration into glory. If we take a step back and realize the story again here in 1 Kings, the passage is recounting of David's son Solomon at the culmination of this temple being completed. It is done. It's been dedicated to the Lord. He's recounting his father's desire and the goal to see this temple realized. And it's interesting for me to note that we don't have an account anywhere else in Scripture or anywhere else in history of David turning his back on God because he wasn't able 
to build the temple. He didn't say, oh my goodness, I am not allowed to do this, then I am going to worship someone else. David could have rebelled. Many of us do when things don't go the way we want, when we experience frustration. How easily it is that we become bitter and angry at God's governing of the world. We think we can do better. We forget his will and we place our will at the top. And oftentimes our rebellion turns sinister as we attempt to get what we deserve, right? To get what we want regardless of God's will for that situation. Anybody guilty of taking control? But David's response is in contrast to the usual human bent response. Historically, we know some awesome things about David in this situation. You see, from all over the land, David, King David, gathered expert craftsmen. He stockpiled materials. He arranged contracts for stone, for timber, for iron and silver. He literally laid the foundations that would become the temple of God. And isn't this the best way to be victorious over frustration? Cannot we learn to turn our frustrations, the things that just make us go, why is this happening, into glory? We must work on and on so that God's glory may be shown to those who follow. David's son Solomon may very well never have been able to complete the temple were it not for his father's diligence and his work. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the faith chapter in Scripture. And Hebrews 11 features a list of people who exemplified faith in their Lord and God. And if we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16, we see something very interesting, I believe. It falls into this category. It says this, all of these people mentioned in these first 12 verses were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country, a home of their own. If they had been thinking of the home they left, the country they left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a better home, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen? For the faithful, for those remembering their true vision and turning their frustrations into glory, there is a promise of something far better than being able to accomplish building a temple, than being able to raise a successful family, than being able to be just a couple notches better than my neighbors, than being able to climb the corporate ladder, than being able to invest in a nest egg that makes us live comfortably, than being able to be successful in the world's eyes. There is something better for us than the world's standard of better. I, Stevan, want to be a man of faith that realizes every day my reward is not here on this earth. 
my audience is not made up of people in a church or people in a community, staff members. The audience that I work for and live for and surrender my life for is not just in my home, not just here. My audience, the true audience I live for is my Heavenly Father. Frustrations are not probable. They're promised. We're going to be frustrated as Christians living against the stream, walking and talking and living in a world that sees us as ridiculous. That sees us as, insert condescending word here, right? We're going to be frustrated. We're going to meet opposition. We're going to face this hurdle more often than we're not. Frustrations are sure to come. It's how we respond to those frustrations that is key to us keeping in step and living and walking in holiness as disciples who follow after Christ. When frustrations arise, may you and I have the character of those people of faith that have gone before us to desire a heavenly reward. When I'm frustrated, I want to remember my true vision and turn that frustration into glory. Will you bow your heads with me? We're going to finish our time together in just a moment, and we're going to celebrate at the Lord's table. But in just this moment, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I, I just feel like I want to ask the question this morning. Are you frustrated? Are you sensing something in your life that even at the onset of the message, you knew in your heart that something in your life, something right now in your situation, in your home is frustrating. And you would like for me to pray for you to have the strength to turn that frustration into glory and to keep your true focus on Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you would like me to pray for strength for that, would you just simply with heads bowed and eyes closed, just raise a hand and let me know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Praise the Lord. He will give us strength as we seek him. As we keep the reminders in front of us, he will meet those needs. Let's pray together. Jesus, we admit our frustrations. We admit to you, Lord, that we often lose our focus on what our true pursuit should be. We're drawn off track. We are blinded by things that we shouldn't be blinded by. And Lord, there are many here this morning who have raised their hands and admitted that they are weak in an area of frustration. And so, Lord, collectively, corporately, we pray that you would be the strength we need every single day to surrender to our true vision, to be reminded, to set our focus, to single our gaze upon the author and perfecter of our faith. We realize that we are in this race, we are running every single day, and there are many signs along the route that try to draw us off track. And Lord, I pray for strength in each of our lives that we would keep our focus on our true love 
that being you. And Lord, when the hurdles of frustration jump out into the road, when they are there, I pray, Lord, that we would turn those hurdles into your glory. That there would be many more testimonies within this body of believers of winning over sin, of fighting off temptation, of surrendering to your will and to your way. And Lord, I pray that we would run in such a way that we know the hurdles are coming and we would say, bring it on. Help us to be a people. A people after your own heart. A church desiring to reach our community and the world. A group of people significant in your sight. Not in the reputation of the world around us. Not in accolades. Place in a ladder. But Lord, a people surrendered to you. You alone. So that on that day of judgment, as we stand before your throne, we would hear. Trembling in our stance. Well done my good and faithful servant. We look forward as those in Hebrews chapter 11 received. We look forward to our eternal reward, an everlasting peace, an opportunity to worship you forever. Teach us, Lord. We're going to close the service by receiving communion together. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life, your will for his. Maybe today you've done that. You are invited to partake of these elements of bread and juice as symbols and reminders of the grace offered through Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who, with his disciples in the upper room, took time to celebrate Passover before his crucifixion. And he taught them some powerful things about these symbols of grace. Luke chapter 22 reminds us of this interaction. Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new promise, new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Drink this too in remembrance of me. This morning, we, as the body of Christ, continue this tradition of remembering the grace of Jesus Christ that is poured out for us, that covers our sin and makes us new. If you're a believer this morning, we would invite you in these moments of closing our time of worship to come forward down these two aisles these two side aisles, just line up, come down the aisles and receive these elements and go out by the side. There's trash cans at the end for you to drop your cup and receive grace in the name of our Lord Jesus. Let me pray a blessing upon these elements. Jesus, use these symbols of your body and your blood as reminders to us. Fill us with your grace again today, we pray. As you feel led, come forward.
thank you for participating in the Lord's table. Thank you for receiving grace and being vessels of it in the world around us. Go in the peace of our Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Jesus, continue to transform us into your men and women, boys and girls, disciples of yours, that will go into this world and meet frustration and get through it because of your great strength. We thank you for grace offered to us today and every day. And for grace for this world, help us, Lord, to be vessels of your grace and to point people towards your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. If you'd like to help us stack some chairs, we would appreciate your help.